0: You're listening to the best of the Earl Stewart on Cars program. If you have a question, text it to 772-497-6530 or online at youranonymousfeedback.com and we'll answer it during our next live show on November 16th.
1: space through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Periscope. Stu is also the Spymaster Director of our Mystery Shopping Report. He dispatches our secret shopper weekly to an unsuspecting South Florida dealership. And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. No more recording. That's me. This is Earl, the recovering car dealer, in the studio with uh, three other live people. This is live talk show, radio kind of stuff. And... um, As I said in my recorded introduction, this is a show about how not to be taken advantage of by your car dealer, whether you're buying, maintaining, leasing, or repairing your car. I have to say it's been an exciting week uh, for us. Uh, We finally had, after a lot of, I was going to say months, it's been years, that we've been talking about the Takata debacle. Finally, CBS News broke it with a investigation of the AutoNation stores, the largest auto retailer in the world, AutoNation. I believe they have over 200 stores in the United States, and I believe they're actually in other countries as well. But anyway, AutoNation uh, was proven by a independent source uh, investigating uh, to be selling one out of nine of their vehicles with defective dangerous recalls and of course Takata was the focal point CBS News Anna Werner on the CBS News uh, did the breaking news kind of an expose on uh, Monday of this last week and interviewed me yours truly um, in my dealership remotely talking about our stance on not selling cars with Takata airbags. Uh, I've been accused on this show, and it's probably true, of doing too much talk about the dangerous Takata airbag recalls. But I have to say that uh, it was out of passion, it was out of concern for you, uh, the drivers of these cars, and um, I know that there's a lack of awareness and people say, what is a Takata airbag? I've actually had people not know about the Takata airbag recall, customers of mine. And there are people today that are listening to the show that may not know about the Takata kind of airbag recall. So, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more than normal uh, this morning. Love to hear about your experiences. If you saw the CBS News, uh, if you saw it online, if you saw it on the air, I'd like to uh, have you call the show and give us your impression. If you've had an experience buying a car. Uh, Have you had any uh, conversations with your salespeople or with the dealership that this car may have a dangerous Takata airbag in it, and maybe we can't fix it because the parts aren't available? We have a mystery shopping report, as you know, your regular listeners on this show. Uh, Every week we shop a different car dealer somewhere in the South Florida area. We go in sometimes on uh, advertising, deceptive advertising. Uh, We did the streak of them on defective to cut airbags. We just access the online sources for defective to cut airbags and find out those that are in inventories in car dealers in South Florida. Then we send an undercover agent into the dealership to try to buy the car. And I'm going to have to say, Stu can correct me if I'm exaggerating, nine out of ten or maybe nine and a half out of ten are not disclosed. That is correct. Now, when they are disclosed, uh, they're typically disclosed in a negligent, kind of a careless manner. Uh, Oh, yes, uh, you can get that fixed. And they don't tell you that the defective airbag can kill you and has killed a lot of people. And they don't tell you, in some cases, that there is not a fix available. Now, we have a mystery shopping report coming up and you probably guessed it already, right? It was an Auto Nation store. Mm-hmm. AutoNation store, it was Auto Nation Chevrolet in Greenacres, that's like Greater Lake Worth, or as I now say, Lake Worth Beach. But uh, it's a large store, been there for a long time, used to be owned for you oldies out there like me, by a guy named Steve Moore. used to be Steve Moore Chevrolet. That's right. And mm-hmm. Steve Moore uh, sold out to Auto Nation. that's the reason he's a multi-millionaire today. And uh, he's a great guy and an honest guy and uh, AutoNation bought it and they've been selling a lot of cars out there so our mystery shopper went out and uh, attempted to buy a car that we had pre-identified and we'll talk about that later in the show but no spoilers you m- no, no don't, don't want do, <laughs> to do the spoiler did AutoNation come out on top did they come out on the bottom in the middle what happened you gotta tune in to find out you gotta tune in and you're already tuned in or if uh, you have friends who aren't tuned in please tell them to meanwhile the uh, core of this show is you. Uh, we know that uh, you probably are interested in some of the things we had to say, but you're more interested in questions that you specifically have, or comments. Everybody virtually has a car. If you live in Florida, you almost have to have a car. You have to bring it in to get it fixed, you have to have it repaired, maintained. Uh, you have to buy a new one every now and then, or another used one, a later model car. and. It's just not a good experience. One thing I haven't mentioned in the past few weeks, the Gallup Annual Poll on Honesty ethics and Ethics in Professions. Since 1977, every year, every year they do a poll on the most honest and the most dishonest in terms of ethics uh, businesses in the country. And they, they, nurses are number one. Car dealers are usually at the bottom. And if they're not dead last, they're next to last. Last year they were dead last, I believe. Are, I think, uh, lower than congressmen. Yeah, lower than congressmen, lobbyists. Lawyers actually moved up. Lawyers used to be on the bottom. But of all the professions, of all the uh, places where you buy things, retail mainly, uh, the worst experience you can have in terms of honesty and ethics is with a car dealership. That's the reason this show exists. The sad fact is that because it's been going on since, long, I mean, 19. Uh,
2: are we talking 42 years? 42 that we've years. Been at thank the, you. Uh, bottom uh, of the uh, 42 years. Bottom of the list. And
1: that's just when the poll's been conducted. So they've been selling cars since the early 1900s, and I imagine they were probably pretty shady back in those days. So that's the reason we're here. You call us at 877-960-9960. That's our old-fashioned telephone. You remember those things that you used to cl- dial and so ring? They, spin your fingers around a little. Telephone. Uh, the telephone. Something that Some of young people out there don't know what no a telephone idea. is. Uh, you'll call a, it a, a smartphone. We used to call them telephones. Yeah. 877-960-9960. One more time. 877 We move up in time a little bit. Texting. People love to text now. When you text, you can say what you have to say, and you're out of there. You don't have to listen to the reply. And the person that receives your text doesn't have to read it then. They can read it later, and they don't have to reply. They can pretend like they didn't get the text. So it's a lot more user-friendly. You never have to talk to
3: anybody. Yeah, right. It's great for introverts.
1: I know people that don't talk on the phone anymore. All they do is text. I, I personally think it's far more efficient and uh you can say something and uh, and you can think about it for a long time and word it carefully. <laughs> it can really give somebody a zinger in a text. So, text us, please. It's 772 497 6530. Write it down, okay? 772 area code 497 Six five three zero, and let us know what you'd like to talk about. Let us know what we're doing right on the show or wrong on the show. Love to hear about Takata airbags in the CBS news article last Monday. Anna Werner, uh, amazing investigative reporter, and she has won prizes for some of her investigative reporting. Amazing lady, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that show. Uh, you know, I usually go left to right, and I talk about Mrs. Sunrise. Excuse me. Uh, Mrs. Stewart. She's also Mrs. Sunrise. But I'm going to go from left to right, and I'm going to talk about Rick Kearney, Certified Master Diagnostic test Technician. We get caught up in sales and buying and selling cars, and we sometimes forget that probably your greatest aggravation is having to deal with service advisors, going into an independent repair shop, having people try to sell you things, that you don't need in a service department or is telling you there's something really dangerously wrong with a car when there really isn't because they can sell it to you and make a lot of money. Uh, Rick Kearney has been with me as an employee for 25 plus years and he's been fixing cars since he was nine years old and is helping his father. Uh, Rick, uh, tell us a little bit about why you're on the show.
4: I'm here to answer questions, <laughs> yeah, in a
1: nutshell, and he can answer any question I tell you what, i'm gonna, I'm well, going to make a point. deal here if you have a real question and rick Rick can't answer it, i'm going to pay you fifty bucks i'm going to put now remember he's got a computer in front of him, a laptop, and he can possibly google it before before you call, but if he can't answer a question fifty bucks for any question Rick Kearney cannot answer now you have to i say you have to. Yeah, you can text if you want to, or call eight seven seven nine six oh ninety nine sixty, or text us at seven seven two four nine seven six five three oh. I've got a question for Rick. Talking about Takata airbags and dangerous recalls. When you fix a car that has a recall, you get paid for it, don't you? Yes I do. And the dealership gets paid for it too. Yes, they do. And and the and the manufacturer pays for it. So it's it's actually can can you understand why any dealer would be reluctant to have one of their own cars fixed when they make money on the process?
4: Absolutely not. You know,
1: it would be like what?
4: Right. Just stupidity. I well, mean, I hate to use the word. All all the models are a little bit different, so some pay more than others. But even the in for Toyota, I, I really can speak only for Toyota on this part. But the lowest paying model of toyota for replacing an airbag inflator is still a good job it's a it technicians work on commission so i get paid x amount of time to do that job and the lowest paying job that toyota has for one i can beat that time usually by 20 percent or more or better so i i make out on them i how much is, i love seeing how much does toyota commit.
1: pay Our Toyota dealership and all Toyota dealerships for their lowest price.
4: Well, for, say, a Corolla, the older Corollas, it pays nine-tenths of an hour.
1: Yeah, and that would be, uh, give it to us in dollars and cents.
4: Uh, Let's see, at our current rate for warranty 130 bucks, 140 bucks. Actually, yeah, it's about one hundred and forty to one hundred and fifty dollars. The dealership gets paid for me replacing that airbag.
1: And then, depending on other dangerous recalls, they could range up where the dealership could be making hundreds of dollars in some cases.
4: Uh, if I were replacing the inflator on a forerunner, that dealership makes around uh, almost $500. So there you have it. Toyota isn't unique. All the car dealerships out
1: there have similar pay plans. The dealers make hundreds of dollars when they fix a dangerous recall. Uh, the technician is incentivized on commission and even the service advisor gets paid. So everybody pays. Why would you sell a car with a dangerous recall when you could actually profit by having it repaired?
4: There would be no reason because no. it's it's one of the simplest things because there's no go to the customer, recommend it, yeah. let the customer determine do they need determine. it. It needs to be done. It's the simplest amount of paperwork. You simply do the job, get it done, two minutes of paperwork, boom, Cust- you get paid. And the
1: customer loves you because you just may have saved his life. You did him a favor. He probably didn't know about the recall. When a customer car comes into a car dealership, Auto Nation or any other, Mercedes, uh, Honda, They have a computer. you got a computer in your hand. you got a smartphone. Anybody can go to safercar.gov. And that's where you should go before you buy a used car. Safercar.gov. Look it up on NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Association. Find out if there's a recall. And if there is, tell your dealer. Your dealer could do the same thing for you, but they don't. That's the problem.
4: Well, we've been doing (coughs) Takata recalls for several years now, three to four years, and I can honestly say right now, There's a gentleman, a gentleman's family, in Arizona that I am sure really wishes that his Honda had been repaired, because June of 2018, a man died because of a Takata inflator in Arizona.
1: Yeah, a lot of Hondas out there were defective.
4: Folks, this is just, it's such a deadly thing, because when these inflators explode, it is literally... A hand grenade, a pipe bomb, yeah. exploding within inches of your face—shrapnel. Yeah, and, it's, and it, it kills other
1: people. If, if it's a passenger side, it can kill the driver. Uh, it can kill people in the back seat. I mean, think of an exploding hand grenade. The shrapnel just doesn't go in one direction. It goes all over the place. So they're very, very dangerous. Um, let's move around to Stu. And uh, but let me get Nancy. Please get those numbers out again. Uh, I'm hoarse.
2: Okay. Good morning, folks welcome welcome to earl stewart on cars if you just tuned in we love your phone calls we love your texts we love hearing from you we're here for you but also we would like information from you and you always put that out there for us because we don't know everything our number is 877-960-9960 and you can text us at 772 Four nine seven six five three zero, and remember youranonymousfeedback.com. Oh ah, yeah. Youranonymousfeedbackdot.com. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know anything. You do remain anonymous.
1: Okay, Sue. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your place on the show, and uh, uh, maybe you've been accumulating some text or feedbacks or something.
3: Well, good morning. Yeah, um, we got a bunch of text on deck. We'll get to them in a few minutes. But I just wanted to say this last week. Uh, what a momentous week! I oh. mean, with the CBS news story, uh, it was something that we were actually we had backed off uh, doing the mystery shops and backed off talking about Takata, uh, and we were doing that because we you know, we didn't want to become tiresome, and also you don't want to get it where it's just uh, background noise. So yeah. maybe there was a taking a pause was a, was a good thing. Yeah. But having a national news story putting the focus back on this again was huge, and the fact that we got to participate, you got to be interviewed about it, um, it made it that much more impact, impactful for the, for the people in our area, and also nationwide. So, um, you know, we're back on this with with, with a passion. Um, you mentioned already, we went uh, back and did a Takata Mystery Shop at an AutoNation dealership. The CBS News story focused on, on AutoNation and, and their reversal of their old policy that they put into place uh, right when it got, started heating up back in 2016. And they, uh, Mike Jackson made a uh, an announcement, and it was some, we we applauded it on the show. Yeah, the um,
1: CEO at that time of uh, AutoNation, Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, uh, and who I admired
3: and respected uh, yeah. greatly. And and uh, you know I'm sure he has uh, plenty of uh, defensible reasons for or uh, for AutoNation uh, to go back mm-hmm. on the policy, but it lasted a year. After a year, um, I guess the reality of the cost involved uh, caught up with them, and they yeah. said we got to go back and. Um, Uh, So with the story uh, from CBS News putting the focus on it again, I think a lot more people are going to be aware, and I think it's going to save lives. And
1: Michael Jackson, as you know, uh, resigned recently, and uh, I wonder how much his resignation had to do with him committing for the corporation not to sell cars with dangerous recalls and then suddenly reversing going back to uh, selling them again. And then there's the resignation. I talked to Rosemary Shea in California, one of the great consumer advocates in the United States. Uh, uh, Rosemary said uh, in an email back before, she doesn't know if it was a coincidence that Michael Jackson uh, has resigned as Mm -hmm. a result of them going
3: back to uh, the selling the dangerous recalls automation. We can speculate, but if I was him, I probably wouldn't want to stick around after that. (laughs) It's kind of a big flip-flop. The other thing I can tell you is, you know. You know, when we prepare for these mystery shopping reports, and we have been reporting in recent months, it's getting harder and harder to find cars, uh, used cars with Takata airbag recalls, and it feels like it might be getting a little bit easier again. And, and what what we see is these uh, these recalls come in waves, and uh, new recalls are announced. And I can I can report Toyota is is announcing a new um, recall on cars that were already fixed uh, that had Takata airbags, and um, they're replacing the replacements um uh, this is no one's forcing their hand that they're doing this voluntarily um, but it's uh, over a million vehicles and they're all you know they're older toyotas but uh this is happening and uh Consumers are going to get notices in the mail next month, and they're going to let them know that they've got to bring their car in. So this is ongoing, and it's been going on for three years. Yeah, and the Takata situation yeah. is actually getting worse.
1: Yeah. It's not getting better. The cars are coming of age, and they are reaching the unstable um, accelerant situation with the humidity and the yeah. temperature at a greater rate than they're being fixed, because only one out of four is being fixed. Right. So we uh,
3: the, the Takata situation is far worse today than it was three years ago. Exactly exactly um, as a matter of fact the um, the fix this new recall that's going to be announced shortly uh, the problem was the airbag and the inflators that they replaced them with didn't have a desiccant which is just something uh, a, a little uh, chemical thing it, it absorbs moisture and prevents this uh, accelerant from uh, from uh, de- degrading anymore so the new ones we're gonna it will have this desiccant and will keep it dry and safe um, but like you said there's no end in sight to this yeah yeah Uh,
2: I myself can't find, uh, uh, you know, uh, a legitimate reason for any of this to have taken place and for us to be at it since 2016. Folks, I can tell you things are getting better, but the lives that have been taken and continue to be taken, I'll tell you what, this is definitely a hot copy hot topic and we are going to get back to it remember 877-960-9960 and I'd like to hear from you by text at 772-497-6530 remember ladies $50 for the first two lady callers and uh we have uh, Tina and Doug holding and we're going to go straight to Tina right now good morning Tina welcome to the show
5: hi good morning how y'all
3: doing you're doing great hey Tina
5: Hi, how are you? Great. Um, I was re- I w- Hi. I was reading an article this morning from uh, a few months back on the online uh, version of Wall Street Journal, and I think we need to turn our attention to millennials. I know millennials get bashed and ticked on. This is definitely not a bashing. This is just a statement of fact. Um, I'm an older member of Generation X baby boomer. If I would have born been born a year earlier, I would have been a baby boomer for whatever it's worth, I think, but our generation, when we turned 16, we were chomping at the bit to get our driver's license. We wanted our freedom as soon as possible, and for some of us, that was a necessity because we were going to school, we were working after school. Some kids had football practice or sports practice, and they needed to have a car to get around because there wasn't a lot of Public transportation around at that time, especially where I live. But now the tide has turned. I hear from clients that work, I work at a hair salon, I hear them say, Well, you know, my granddaughter just doesn't care about getting her driver's license, or my grandson's 21 and he's still not driving and they're concerned about it. But there's legitimate reasons for this. And some of the reasons are that number one, cars have gotten more expensive, and these kids, for the most part, just don't have the money and insurance is also high but another reason why millennials are for getting a driver's license is because of uber and lyft public transportation has gotten better in a lot of areas some of these young people are going to school in metropolitan areas where there's a lot of public transport and quite frankly a lot of them just admit i'm not interested in getting a driver's license so among the younger age category the amount of dr- driver's licenses has decreased sharply over the years.
1: Yeah, I believe that, uh, Tina, and there's been a lot of conversation about it. Uh, everything changes. You and I can't understand it, but uh, our, our kids can and our grandkids can. So it's uh, a definite change, and you hit on it. Technology is uh, driving a lot of that change.
5: Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea for kids to wait if they can. Uh, at the time that I learned how to drive my mother she wanted me to wait. She made me wait until The last semester of my senior year before I took driver's ed and I got my driver's license the day I turned 18 mm-hmm. and I think in my case that was a good thing But when my mother discovered how convenient it was to have somebody else yes. <laughs> drive her, She didn't have to be mom's taxi. So guess what when my brother and sister Turned 16 they got their licenses and it made her life much simpler
1: exactly you know i i think that our kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for and our grandkids are even smarter than that i think every generation is just getting uh, more efficient and smarter and uh, Stu's raising his hands i think he agrees well
3: i yeah i mean i have a a 17 year old son and a 16 year old daughter and um when i see their, their kids now my son uh he was he was chomping at the bit. He wanted to get his license. They have a lot of friends that are not even interested in driving. I mean, his best friend just got his license, and he's almost eighteen years old. And um, there seems to be so many other I think I guess things for kids to do instead of driving around like we used to just drive around and cruise, you know, just mm-hmm. get in their car because we were bored. Uh, well, now they got their faces and their and their smartphones. But um, I do agree with with uh, with Grandpa Earl that I think this the next gen- this is the smartest generation, way, way smarter than mine. I'm, I'm I'm a Gen Xer too.
1: Uh, you can't fight change Dana. Uh we we'll, we will always love our cars we'll always remember them and uh, but 20 years from now it's going to be just a uh, mode of transportation to get from point A to point B the love affair will not Rick's looking at me uh, because yeah, yeah, he's going to tell me we still have horses on the street, and we will always have, we'll always have uh, fifty-seven Chevrolet power packs with uh, dual quads, Roman chariots, and they'll be around. There'll be antique cars, and you can go to the museum and see them, and you might even be able to drive one if you're lucky, just like you can ride a horse like a if you're lucky. But yeah, we keep our antiques and we keep our memories, but time marches on.
2: And Rick, you know what? I'll tell you what. I certainly do wish there were horses back then because I have three daughters that were wanting cars immediately, and their ulterior motive wasn't to help mom out, you know, and get to the store and take care of things. And the same thing applies to grandchildren. Uh, They wanted cars, and they wanted them now. And uh, I wished it would have been horse and buggy time because it would have been less expensive for me. That's my point. we got to feed that (laughs)
3: horse.
0: Okay. okay
1: thank tina? you tina appreciate the call always interesting and uh you're our star caller i appreciate it very much
5: thank you and ladies i can't do this by myself please call the gang
1: thank you thanks for the plug 50 Th- 50. thanks tina we really appreciate we your want.
2: call yeah and your plug we're going to go to doug who is also another well he's here every saturday good morning and ollie
6: good morning how are you guys
3: hey doug um
6: well first of all ollie wanted a car but i told him even though he's going to be 21 that he can't drive that's hmm. it
1: 21 wow well he's a senior citizen that's, that's an old kitty like. kid <laughs> oh
2: yeah <laughs> you'd
6: you
1: be you be kind Ollie. now
2: i like that doug <laughs> So I
6: had a question, Uh, I did get my Honda back and it's it's working pretty good but um, for some strange reason the battery isn't working and instead of replacing the battery they they replaced a thing called a battery sensor. Do you know what that is?
4: Rick does. Now refresh me, your Honda, is that a hybrid or a regular gas engine?
6: No, regular gas and it was struck by lightning and they replaced all the electronics and the battery went dead Um, and then instead of replacing the battery, they put a battery sensor and I never heard of that. Hmm. Well
1: maybe the battery, uh, maybe that battery really wasn't dead and the sensor was defective and they had to replace the sensor that alerts you when you have a low battery.
4: That's certainly possible. Or a lot of batteries also have temperature sensors now in them, or the car has a sensor for reading the temperature of the battery, and also to try to help determine the health-wise of the battery. Yeah. The lightning's pretty hot, so. Well, as
1: long as it's working, Doug, and uh, they uh, probably charge you less to repair the sensor than they would <laughs> if they had to replace the battery. So, uh, uh, you well, know, they
6: keep... didn't charge me anything. Oh, which is good. yeah,
1: it's insurance. Yeah. Oh, insurance, cool, very good.
6: Well, I, uh, the other thing, yeah. The other thing that was weird is, unfortunately, my car was parked. Tim and I went to a restaurant, and Ollie stayed in the car, and someone uh, hit my car on the tend to hit and run, and created twelve hundred dollars worth of damage. So it's like, really?
1: <laughs> did Ollie get the tag number? <laughs> you won't no, tell him. No, he did not. Uh. Meow. <laughs> hey,
3: That's all he said.
1: Well, you're running through <laughs> some bad luck, dog. I. I don't know what to tell you. That's uh. you do for good luck. Yeah, you know uh. I tell
6: my friends. karma c a r m a karma.
1: Well, you got you know your insurance company real well now, and they know you probably too well, and with your next uh, premiums come up
6: uh, at the
1: end of the year, they're gonna they're gonna be apt to. I'm sorry to say, but uh, at least you've got a working relationship with them, and I hope things go smoothly for you. Thank you, and
0: you guys have a great day. You Thanks, too. Doug.
2: Take care. Nice hearing from you, Doug. Give us a call toll-free.
5: you. Bye-bye.
0: You're listening to the best of the Earl Stewart on Cars program. If you have a question, text it to 772-497-6530 or online at youranonymousfeedback.com, and we'll answer it during our next live show on November 16th.
2: 877-960-9960 or you can text us at 772-497-6530 uh, and i mentioned quickly earlier that uh, if you're the uh, one of the first two lady callers you can win yourself fifty dollars this morning so please give us a call say hi uh, i think we gotta go back to Stu. who'd we leave off oh with?
3: i got i got text piling up uh, we have uh, on facebook youranonymousfeedback.com and also on our text number. So I'll start with our anonymous feedback. It uh, came in very early this morning. Uh, this is kind of funny. Um, you need to put Nancy's affidavit on ain'tgonnahappen.com because hmm. it ain't going to get signed. Well, hmm. maybe so, but it will definitely. it's definitely going to start a conversation with you. So, And that
1: proves yeah. a point in itself. You know, if you have a company that has a product advertised for sale at a price and you walk in and you ask them to guarantee you that that really is the price and they say no, what are you gonna do? Leave. You're you're gonna leave, right? Mm -hmm. But car dealers, I know and I'm sure, most of them will refuse to sign that, but that's a confession that they've been lying to you about their advertising when they say this is the price, or they quote it to you over the phone, or it's online or on television, and they say they won't sell it to you for that price, which is what they're saying when they will not sign the out-the-door price affidavit. So exactly. yeah, we, we learned
3: something.
2: And to the uh, youranonymousfeedback.com, uh, my thoughts and my opinion on that. Uh, that's going to be. That's going to bring uh shall i say control uh that's also going to and this is for the consumer it brings control it brings attention it is a positive even if it doesn't get used it's out there it's on EarlOnCars.com, and there are a lot of times that the consumer doesn't realize they are in control That car salesman is not your friend. If he doesn't give you what you want, you leave.
3: Okay, we got some more text. Uh, Yeah, next one. It says, hello, Earl. I enjoy your show very much, and I listen to it every week. I'd like to add to last week's comment from anonymous feedback in regards to confronting dealers. I share that listener's idea and agree with Stu's response that it is not a good idea to become angry and loud. But I believe that there was another part to this, confronting the dealer and letting other shoppers know... Uh, what you have, what, that you have a deceitful tactic, liar or trick that you've uncovered. I myself had want, have wanted to do this. I see the ads, listen to them talk, and push the extras. I just want to come in there with a, with a rolling thunder and stop the madness. Question. Should a friendly neighborhood consumer advocate call out dealers in a non-shouting manner and interject sales that you witness to be morally wrong? Thank you.
1: I think it's not worth raising your blood pressure or getting people excited.
2: Excuse me for a moment. Uh, Joey, we'll be uh, right with you. Joey's calling us from uh, Ju- Jupiter. And, uh, Jonathan, the call that was dropped, that was it, it dropped quickly. I didn't see the name on it. Uh, oh. I'll find out. Okay.
1: Okay, uh, we'll uh, definitely get to our uh, holding caller. And uh, going on as to whether you should confront a car salesman or a manager when there is deception going on, you catch them at it in the dealership, Uh, what I was about to say is that you're far more effective uh, to voice that concern and uh, outrage, if it is outrage, on Google. On uh, Dealer Rater is another rating system. Yelp is another rating system. Or you can actually uh, email the manufacturer or call the manufacturer on the 800 number. If you call the manufacturer for that dealer and you go into some detail about what happened, the dealer principal will be contacted on all complaints of this nature. Uh, but I think, uh, again, it's just not worth the, um, the taxation on your own body and the people around you to lose your temper in a dealership showroom you're uh, they're probably used to it and they take it as it's uh, like uh, rolls right off their shoulders with you you'll be upset for a long time not worth it hit them with their Googler, G- google ranking their yelp
3: ranking and their dealer reader ranking you try some nonviolent violent protests maybe sit in the showroom floor quietly with a sign yeah.
1: Yeah, and better business <laughs> bureau
3: is also another way to go about it. Let's no, get to our telephone. No, no egg throwing. All right.
2: Okay, we're going to go to Joey, who's calling us from Jupiter. Good morning, Joey.
3: Hello?
7: Hey, Joey. Hi. Good morning.
3: How you doing? Yeah, I got a couple. I might have a bad connection there.
1: Yeah, it sounds like I got a bad connection. Joey, I don't know if you can hear us, but you uh, got halfway through that sentence and we lost you. If if you have a bad connection. <laughs> Call us back. Call us back. Yeah, Yeah, give
2: us a call back, Joey, and also to Rich, who was holding. Please give us a call back, Hmm. 877-960-9960, or you can text us at 772-497-6530.
3: And we'll go back to our text. I got a good one here. This is on youranonymousfeedback.com. Important point of discussion. When is that man-child, Elon Musk, going to be removed from Tesla and placed into psychiatric care? Earl, do you know of any of the followers of the Church of of Electric Jesus? If so, send them to psychiatric care right alongside their savior. The affection with Tesla, the insane battery production pollution, and the cars catching fire needs to end. We need a newer, better, more mature electric vehicle manufacturer. Tesla on fire? Yes. Here is a passerby's camera footage, and there's a link to, uh, I guess, a video of a Tesla on fire. That's the you comment.
1: Know, yeah, my feeling about Elon Musk is he's typical of founders. Uh, uh, he's a genius. I think uh, nobody will argue that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what his IQ is, but it's got to be uh, north of 150. And uh, he just is not a good manager, and he doesn't yeah. understand people. He doesn't understand personalities, but uh, he is... Uh, um, it's more like an Edison... Yeah, easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you see this in so many cases. The founder of a company, after the first few years, and it reaches a point where you need to have a manager at the as a CEO, and that's what's happened to Elon Musk. Uh, uh, you know, I like the guy as a is a academic uh, genius, but he he ruffles my feathers yeah, as I, a manager. Yeah, I wouldn't hire him. Yeah. Right. No, <laughs> but you wouldn't hire real- him in a business, <laughs> right. but you'd love to have him do
3: research and development. <laughs> oh yeah, that's where you're yeah, be, you ought to be. Yeah, for sure. Know? He could be like an oracle. I could go to you know every every now and then for inspiration. You yeah. know? Actually, yeah. Stu, I think he's more of a Tesla, oh, Nikola oh, Tesla. Oh, oh, oh. We had somebody comment on that last week. Yeah. Very good. Good well, point.
2: Yeah, Elon Musk. You know, you got to hand it to him. The academics, the science, uh, the man is very <laughs> intelligent, and as Earl alluded to, a high IQ. Can he get across the street by himself? Eh, who knows?
3: He doesn't need to. So next one, um, here's a good one. Good morning, Erlen team. You all have a great pro- platform, great camaraderie, fantastic advice, and I enjoy <laughs> listening to the show each week. Here's my question: Why is TrueCar not reporting the out-the-door price? Take a look at TrueCar's definition, copied from the website. Here's a quote: "How to use the TrueCar price curve." The true car price curve presents new car sales transactions data in a way that helps you easily recognize a fair price for a similarly configured vehicle. Dealer documentation, administrative, or similar processing fees are not included in these recent sale transactions. End quote. Those fees that are left out do not really reflect a true price. Is this the dealer's purposely providing numbers without the dealer profit fees? Asking that question may have answered itself. Thank you, a loyal listener.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. And uh, TrueCar uh, has an agreement with every dealer that becomes a certified Car dealer that they allow TrueCar to access their computer, uh, the dealer's computer, where all the transactions are related. And they take all the transactions, which is one of the good things about TrueCar. They have about 15, maybe 20,000 dealers by now. And so all these dealers around the USA pretty accurately reflect the transaction prices in the sale of their new and used cars. But you're absolutely right. Dealers accounting leaves a lot to be desired and when they sell a car some dealers will not include uh, certain items such as hidden fees. They'll put them in miscellaneous income. They won't show them as being a profit on the sale of the car. However, the bell curve that you see is a relative comparison of the higher and lower prices. And because dealer fees tend to kind of average out in a community, if you go to uh, Palm Beach County and look at the average dealer fees, they're very close. If you go to Orange County in uh, northern Florida, uh, central Florida, they're very close. So it leaves a lot to be desired. But if you look at the bell curve, you'll see at the top of the bell curve the average price. And that's fairly accurate. Yeah.
3: It's um, it's definitely a useful thing to put you in the ballpark. Um, True car has changed over the years. I mean, it, it used to be you could get the actual the price. There wasn't a uh, it wasn't a range. It wasn't a suggestion or an average price. It was from the dealer. Some manufacturers still provide that, um, but some of them don't. And it has gotten harder to get a true out-the-door price from a particular dealer.
1: And true car does have a rule that you must include the yes dealer-installed accessories, and any extra non-government fees. Those are the hidden fees. They have to include this in the final true car
3: price. And they are itemized. You can see them. So they yes. itemize So you see what you're paying for. All right. Uh, we have some texts. Um, the first one, this comes from uh, a listener in Utah, and he texted us last week. Uh, his name's Don, and he uh, just received his copy of Confessions of a Recovering Car Dealer. Uh-huh. He s- sent us a picture. He sent us a picture of the unboxing. How exciting! Yeah. He says I just received the book. It will be well read. Thanks for all the cost saving tips from Don. And then he, he chimed in this morning. Says keep keep talking, uh, taking care of the dogs. And they have it. He has an adorable Chihuahua. Ah, so,
1: fantastic! And just to tell everybody listening, when you buy a copy of Confessions of a Recovering Car Dealer on Amazon, available on Amazon, and you just go to Earl'sBook.com, that takes you right to the link on Amazon. Yeah. Earl'sBook.com. That's 100% of the sales proceeds go to Big Dog Ranch Rescue. They're the largest no-kill. They don't euthanize their dogs in, in Florida. They're an amazing organization.
3: The only part of <laughs> your purchase price, the only part of your pri- the price that doesn't go to the dogs is Jeff Bezos' cut. Yes. Exactly. Amazon takes a little off the top, but the rest Jeff goes Bezos, to the that's dogs. That's the reason he's the richest man on earth. That's right. He's taking money from One the dogs. One time. <laughs> All right, this is from Gary in Lake Park. He said, I saw a Honda at my neighbor's house. It had a sign on the door that said Honda Recall Team. The neighbor said they informed him he has a recall for a passenger airbag in his 2003 Civic. Looks like they got the news.
1: Yeah. Honda has been one of the most proactive manufacturers on getting their cars fixed. Uh, They actually check junkyards. They actually check uh, uh, newspaper advertisements. Uh, They go into inventories. Of dealers all over they have really been proactive in trying to bring down their number of outstanding dangerous cars and that's a good reason it's a good thing because they had the most they were out there they sold a lot of cars and the very first cars big problems with Takata was the Honda
3: yeah uh, without well, that's like the um, the easiest well for a while it was the easiest car for us to find we just yes. looked for like a 2002 to 2007 Civic and we would almost find one every time all right this one's for Rick it's from Steven New Jersey he says, how dangerous is it for you to change the airbag device? What safety measures do you take to guard against it exploding when replacing? Well, have you ever seen uh, uh, the Hurt Locker? I'm just kidding. Well, uh, my best answer is I still have all
4: my fingers and toes, and I haven't uh, suffered any major Loss of blood lately, so uh, <laughs> well, you know,
1: I, I, you know, what he's saying, you know, you're making light of it, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you brought me a, a Takata airbag for a 2016 Forerunner the other day, it's still in when the we were having the CBS, and uh, if, so 2016, this is 2019, that's a three, I think it actually went back, it could have been a 2014, yep. so it could have been a five to six year old. Takata airbag. The accelerant has been in South Florida sitting in a parts department somewhere at who knows what temperature for the past uh, say four or five years. That is a time when the accelerant degrades becomes unstable. So your job and the job of all the technicians that are having to work with these Takata airbags, because they will explode without an accident. You don't have to be in a car crash. They can spontaneously explode. So uh, you ought
4: to get hazardous duty pay well, it, it, it comes down to the fact that... Um,
2: Excuse me, Rick. John, hold on. We'll be right with you from West Palm Beach.
4: I, th- there are safety measures that we follow, uh, anti-static mats, uh, trying to avoid creating static that might put a charge in the wiring that mm-hmm. we're working with, and there are special steel cages that are used that will put it in to try to, if it were to detonate try to keep any metal shrapnel from flying directly fl- at you. I'm,
1: I'm going to get you a flak
4: check. <laughs> I've, I've actually got one. Okay, very uh, good. I'm sure you but do. Why don't you the, put the best your thing armor we can on. do is just not think about it and simply, we simply do the yeah. job because this is what we've got to do. It, it's our, as a technician, that's our contribution to try to help out to make it safer for folks. I mean, well, it is, there is the potential that as wh- these bags get as old as 8 to 10 years, mm-hmm. they could potentially... Detonate on their own, and it's a rare occasion. But there have been a couple of documented cases. So great,
2: great information, Rick. Well said. We're going to go to John, who's calling us from West Palm Beach. Good morning, John. Good
7: morning. Wait, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I yeah. Hi, John. Well, what's on your oh, mind, John? You thanks for the call. Oh, you're
7: welcome. I had the opportunity the other day to stop in your new showroom, and was. Liked it very much. I wanted to see the Pontiac that you have uh, on (laughs) display there. Yeah. And then I came across the old Supra. Oh, yeah. What I want to know is can I get your permission? What I. I, You you sold me as a customer when we go to turn our two leases in on our Hondas, and I'm glad they're going to pay the $300 or whatever it is and come get a Toyota just because of uh, your window sticker. And I think you guys are making a profit just on saving ink alone because there's nothing on the window sticker except the price
1: and taxes. Well, thank you. That's uh, the wave <laughs> of the future, I think, John, that um, I hope all car dealers will do something like that. I actually had a call from the uh, legal counsel of Off-Lease Only last week, and uh, they're doing some uh, lobbying in Tallahassee, Florida, and, and uh, talking to a lot of politicians about making the uh, dealer fee law something with teeth and binding. Off lease Only does not charge a dealer fee, and we don't charge hidden fees. We People call them dealer fees. I call them hidden fees. But, yeah, it's something that that uh, I think is going to get legs pretty soon, and the sophisticated consumer, 21st century consumer, is going to make it happen. But thanks for the compliment. Well, what one
7: of the, uh, the reason, uh, I actually want to ask you uh, Next time I come in, can I take a picture of one of the, the sales things on the windows and post it online with the caption saying this is the way car buying should
1: be? Love to have it. I, you know, uh, We love uh, positive publicity. Thank you very much, John. All
7: right. I'll do that then. All right.
1: Thanks for the call. Thanks a lot.
8: That's it. That's it. Thank, Thank you, John.
7: Give us a
2: call right. toll-free at 877-960-9960, or you can text us. I have a really important text that I'd like to share uh with the audience and uh with our team uh how much should I spend on my son's first car my problem is with all the press that I have been reading about with Takata airbags and it being a death trap I don't feel comfortable purchasing a used car, what are my alternatives? I can only afford a used car.
1: Well, it's very simple to find out if it has a Takata airbag, recall. You go to NHTSA website, which is safercar.gov, put the VIN number in. And then you could check with the manufacturer. You should check with the manufacturer of that car you've chosen. And finally, you could go to Carfax. If you do that triple check, you could buy a used car, save money, and be sure that there
3: is not a dangerous recall. And if you're really nervous, you can go. NHTSA has a list called Recall Spotlight. And it tells all the cars that were ever manufactured with the Kata airbag. And believe it or not, there are some that weren't. Uh, Hyundais and Kias never had to cut airbags. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, we've never found one, and it's, as a matter of fact, not listed on their website. So there's no danger of a recall happening in the future on that. So you know, if
1: I were a Hyundai dealer or I were a Kia dealer, yeah. or for that matter, if I were the manufacturer, uh, but, I'd be advertising the heck out of that. They don't. There's only so
3: one car manufacturer. We'll, we'll verify this. Nobody but, cares. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that yeah. they don't care. I they mean, don't care. It's
2: crazy. Okay, Jennifer, uh, there you have it, it's safercar.gov. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can reassure yourself and the safety of your son and get that used car. And as Stu uh, stated, Hyundai and Kia. Yeah. Nope.
3: Correct. And not only that, every manufacturer, it'll list the, uh, the, the models of the manufacturer. So you can look at Ford. Not every Ford had a Takata airbag. A lot did. Um, you could go to Mercedes, Nissan, Toyota, whatever. Um, and the ones that are not listed are the models that never got a Takata airbag in the first place.
2: Knowledge is power, Jennifer. And you've got to do a whole lot of homework today. Uh, because uh, as we used to say it, it uh, when we did the old show, I'll tell you what, it's a minefield out there and you want to protect your loved ones, 877-960-9960, or you can text us at 772-497-6530. We're going to go to Jim, who's calling from Jupiter. Good morning, Jim.
8: Good morning. I have two questions, and then I'll I'll, I'll jump off and listen to the answers. Uh, Could you go over the the, uh, commercials about leasing? Uh, They seem to give a very low number. You can lease this car for $150 a month. But the fine print is really where the uh, yeah, where the real answer is found. It, it takes a huge deposit or down payment, so uh, I think a lot of people don't notice that they're going to get surprised when they come into the uh, leasing department. They have to put four or five thousand down, and then the second question: Could you go over the uh, manufacturers? Let me see. Not invoice. Uh, well, you got MSRP, which comes from the actual manufacturer and mm-hmm. then they they boast that they're going to sell at invoice mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. invoice is something that's created by the dealer himself right
1: not actually it's kind of a collaboration uh, conspiracy collusion. between a collusion between the dealer and the manufacturer uh, but you're absolutely right the invoice is meaningless
8: okay yeah so that was uh that was the two points I wanted to bring out I know I hear a lot about uh, a lot of commercials touting the invoice or at invoice or below invoice, but it's really smoke
1: and mirrors. Yeah, you got to figure it out. Right, Jim. Yeah, let's, I'll go back to your first uh, question uh, on leasing. Uh, you, you hit on some super important points. Uh, the leasing ads are deceptive, even the leasing ads by the manufacturers. That really distresses me. You'd think that General Motors and Toyota and Honda and um, the rest of the manufacturers would understand... That when you advertise prominently a payment, uh, this is a price. This is when you lease a car. The payment is what you're paying for the car. Essentially, it's what it cost you. Uh, so you put a hundred ninety-nine dollar a month payment on a particular vehicle, and then the fine print, and the unreadable fine print on the television. dollars down. Yeah, ten thousand. Five ten thousand dollars down it is a violation of the Federal Trade Commission rule that the price of the vehicle or any product, the price of any product that is advertised, anything that will modify, change that price, has to be prominently and conspicuously, those are the exact words, conspicuously and prominently displayed in the near the price that's advertised. So the manufacturers and the dealers violate that, Federal Trade Commission Act, day after day after day, and all their advertising. Lease payments mean nothing. You see $199 a month, $99 a month, whatever it is, you can't lease the car for that price. It is a terrible
3: um, uh, abomination uh, on the U.S. consumer. Another thing to watch out for, you'll see things like zero down. um, And that's always a deception because they're not talking about total out of pocket so the down payment is just is a down payment it's something it's our cap cost reduction um but they're still going to hit hit you up for dealer fees taxes registration fees first payment um it could be it could be thousands of dollars on a zero dollar down lease so watch out for that too
1: and the lease could also have a very small annual mileage allowance i've seen Leasing has... 8,000 miles. I've seen 5,000 miles. Yeah, yeah, insane. And uh, you can put anything you want that the leasing company uh, puts in their uh, lease agreement and put it in the fine print. And a, a guy comes in and he drives average 15,000 miles a year, and he's looking at the lease payment that means you can only drive 5,000. Yeah. And if you don't see that when you sign the paperwork and you end up with 30,000 extra miles at 25 cents a mile, Ouch. you do the arithmetic, Yeah. yeah. Um, but those, those are the two. Yeah, well, let's get to the MSRP. The MSRP manufacturer suggested retail price is a good thing. It was uh, established in 1958 in the law by Senator Monroney and it was a it was a really good idea because it gives you an ability to compare apples and apples when you're shopping and comparing prices. If you go to a Chevrolet dealer and you look at a Corvette and the Corvette's got a MSRP of $65,000 and you go to another Chevrolet dealer that's got a 65,000, uh, you know, same Corvette for 65,000 MSRP, you can buy it safely from the dealer that gives you the biggest discount from that price.
3: Just watch out for phony Monronis. Watch
1: out for phony Monronis. It's got to be the legitimate manufacturer's suggested retail price. But the dealer's got around that by putting addendum labels next to the Monroni, and they are counterfeit. Identical. They, they're identical. And you think you're paying the Monroni suggested retail price or you're being discounted from that, but you're not. Invoice, the last thing that Jim from Jupiter asked us about, the invoice is not the cost from the manufacturer to the dealer. The dealer's cost of a car is not the invoice. Please remember that. The invoice includes thousands of dollars in profit to the dealer. It comes in forms of rebates, kickbacks, uh, phony fees like advertising fees, floor plan reimbursement, uh, dealer cash, uh, effectively reduce the true cost of the car. And why they call it an invoice is only one reason. It's to deceive you, the buyer, because when the dealer shows you the invoice of the car, he's able to make you think that he's selling you the car at that price or 500 over invoice. 500 in- over invoice could be a $4,500
3: profit. I got four words you got to say to the salesperson who shows you the invoice. Mm-hmm. What about the holdback? Yeah. And that's just all the built-in profit. Some invoices, I can tell you, Toyota, it yeah. lists what the holdback is. You have to know where to look, though. Yeah, It's in a little paragraph down there.
0: You're listening to the best of the Earl Stewart on Cars program. If you have a question, text it to 772-497-6530 or online at youranonymousfeedback.com, and we'll answer it during our next live show on November 16th. Okay. Let's move along. Okay. Um, we have a text from
3: Anne-Marie, longtime listener, longtime texter. Good morning. I saw the news story on TV when it aired. She's referring to the CBS um, story on Takata airbags. What struck me was that Earl appears to be the only car dealer in the country who is willing to publicly appear on national TV to highlight the problem of recalled Takata airbags. Thank you, Earl. By the way, if any, anybody wants to see the story, um, and we've already plugged this, go to CBSnews.com and click on the little magnifying glass at the top of the page and type in Takata airbags. And the automation story uh, will pop right up. And then she has a a question. I have a basic question. Why can't Takata airbags be replaced with a different brand? Or is Takata the only manufacturer of airbags?
1: Thanks. Well, Takata is bankrupt. They no longer exist. We use the word Takata. And uh, another company acquired them, another airbag company. And uh, Rick, and you, do you remember, does anybody remember the name of the company that
3: bought Takata? We can Google that for you. Yeah, we did that a while back. I'm going to have to Google it again. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Uh, there, and, um, and, and Anne-Marie, there's also uh, other um, airbags out there that, that are problems. Takata is the mother of all problems in airbags, but there are other airbag manufacturers that have had their problems re- uh, reported. and. There's only one way to be sure, and that's to check with Carfax and with safercar.gov
3: and with the manufacturer. That's right. Okay, we got a funny text here. It's just a picture. I sent it to your phone. I don't know if it came through. You could probably put it on the camera uh, for our, our viewers on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Uh, it's, a anti, it's a millennial anti-theft device, and it's a picture of the shifting pattern that you would have seen on a standard transmission vehicle. Uh, which would be completely alien to my children, <laughs> which are not even Millennials or Gen Z, but yeah. oh, yeah It's been a long you don't see too many of those. I learned to drive on one. I'm sure m- most of us uh, did But the kids just don't know <laughs> Here you do it. I'm trying to hold up and I'm getting. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's funny. I'm not getting it started. Maybe Jonathan can edit into the, to the video later. Yeah, not important. Uh, yeah, we got a question on Facebook from Steve He's a longtime uh, viewer on, on our on our Facebook video uh, when did manufacturers start using Takata airbags? His 1988 Porsche had airbags before they became mandatory, um, and they're pretty old now. Mm-hmm. Good question. When did they uh, start using those? Do you know,
1: I'm not sure. I, I do know that it was a long time before anyone even talked about uh, problems. And Takata, one of the scandals, one of the reasons they went bankrupt, is because of liability uh, exposure yeah. uh, because they'd been lying. It was a conspiracy, and it was probably.
3: Pops in my head
1: early '90s.
3: I'd have a guess. I mean, when we've been looking, sorry, uh, Rick. Uh, most of them, I, the oldest one I've seen when we're searching these things is, is 2002. So I don't, I don't know if that coincides when they started using it or when they started putting in bad ones. I don't know. Takata started making airbags in
4: 1988, and they the first faulty airbags that they were able to determine are as far back as 1998. So they had 10 years worth of airbags that did not have an issue, and apparently they changed the manufacturing process in 1998, and that was the first ones in Honda airbags, which that would coincide right about the time when they started producing car manufacturers were wanting what are called uh, dual-stage airbags, where the airbag can actually come out either full force in a severe accident or at half power in a less severe accident. And you know,
1: ironically, uh, the most effective way we're getting rid of dangerous airbags is by obsolescence and scrapping cars. So from 1998, we're looking at cars that, uh, you know, 20 years old, you probably see a lot of cars being scrapped. Yeah. And so, fortunately, uh, the ones that didn't blow up and kill somebody are in the junkyard being scrapped. That's
3: right. They could still blow up, though.
1: And just think of all the cars that were sold with no warning whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely I, This is so huge and there's so many cars out there that this is the reason that the legislators and the regulators are sitting on their hands. The lobbyists, the manufacturers and the dealers are lobbying the legislators and so it's, it's, the economic impact would crush the automotive economy not just for retailers, but for the manufacturers. So that is the reason nothing's happening.
4: Well, the the total number has been reported as being over 110 million cars worldwide.
1: Imagine if those cars were frozen legally uh, by the world court that said you cannot sell these cars. 100 million cars that cannot be sold, that would have a huge impact on the world economy. Yes, would
4: ignore that. By the way, Takata was bought out by Chinese-based Ningbo Joyson Electronic Corporation, and Takata will be rebranded as Joyson
3: Safety Systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds Ningbo very joyful. Yeah. Your Mandarin is very good, by the way. Yeah. Okay, let's move Thought along John. here. We got some more text. Uh, we are all caught up. All caught up?
4: You've got a text. Uh, we've got one. Uh, Richard is asking, Earl, what's the average markup the dealer makes on a $30,000 car?
1: That varies uh, all over the charts. Depends on uh, the model and depends on the manufacturer. Um, the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get to you in just a minute, Stu. I'd say that uh, it would vary from a low of 10 or 11 percent to a high of 50 percent. And that's the reason you really
3: can't negotiate or buy a car based on discount. And there's also um, various incentives and things like that that you never see, never comes into discussion, doesn't appear on the invoice, even in in the little hidden section of the holdback. I'd say, you know, I can just talk about Toyota's, you know, a $30,000 car probably has a spread of uh, Two thousand dollars, twenty-three hundred dollars from invoice to MSRP, another eighteen hundred dollars a holdback, and then possibly another thousand in incentives. Yeah. So, if, if selling at it sticker, it's a ton of money, a ton of pr- profit. The, the
1: advertising that you will see, uh, the dealer will typically take a particular car that happens to have a huge markup and reduce it. And maybe we talked to a dealer last week on the show that was selling 2018 cars. And uh, Lord only knows how big a discount uh, was available to him in those cars. But they'll say discounts as high as 50%. Whereas the average car in his stock probably has an average uh, discount of maybe 12 or 14%. So you can't play that game with a dealer. He'll win. What you need to do is just compare prices on the same MSRP with different dealers. If you go to three different dealers, I wish you'd go to five different dealers, but you probably don't want to spend the time. Go to at least three different dealers on the exact same year make model car with the same MSRP and buy the one that gives you the biggest discount from the -the out-the-door price. And of course, be careful about hidden fees, be careful about dealer install accessories. Uh, With that mouthful, that's the way yeah. you
3: get a little price. And it is tempting to get into the weeds and figure out all the like, details, but yeah. we could probably shut this show down with one bit of advice, which is always get three bids. Yeah. I mean, you, you, a used dealer play them off each other; they're going to compete, and you wind up with yeah. the lowest price. Um, but it does, you know, it, it, it changes by manufacturer incentive. Generally speaking, though, the, the more expensive the car, the bigger the markup. The, um, you know, if you get a car that's fifteen thousand dollars, you might see a, a seven hundred dollar markup um, from invoiced MSRP and a small amount of holdback. So, but yeah, don't focus on that. Just just uh, play them against each other. Get three bids. Yeah, the okay, pricing is,
1: the pricing is so complex that even the car dealers themselves often don't know their own cost. There's something called stair step uh, uh, incentives, and stair step incentives is something that's imposed on the menu, on the dealers by the manufacturers. Most famous ones for that at Nissan. Nissan dealers, uh, Nissan manufacturers, is uh, infamous for the way they have these stair-step incentives. And what that does is cause the dealer to hit a certain quota in a given period of time before he gets rebates. Effectively making the cost of the car vary all over the map. And you can go to one. Nissan dealer who will effectively have a higher cost than another Nissan dealer based on these stair-step incentives. So you can see the dealer himself doesn't even know what his car costs. This is like a massive uh, conspiracy because if the dealer and the manufacturer are not sure about the cost of the car, how can you? So don't play the cost game, just use the competitive bid game and you will win. Nancy?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, our number 877-960-9960 earl rick Stu, jonathan and even myself would love to hear from the ladies first two lady callers you can win yourself fifty dollars this morning now we are going to go over to rick because he has some youtube
4: to Um, share with us we do mark ryan from iowa is asking what do you think about switching incandescent bulbs for LEDs on the headlights, brake lights, etc.? Mm-hmm. says, thanks for providing a great show. Uh, I recently put LED headlights in my truck, switched over from the regular uh, incandescent bulbs that I had, and I like them a lot better. I like the color and the brightness. Provided they're done properly and aimed properly, I see nothing wrong with switching to LED bulbs And one of the very tiny advantages that you might actually find is because LEDs will use less power, you'll actually save a tiny little bit of fuel by switching over to the less powerful bulbs that are much brighter.
1: Why don't the manufacturers
4: put them in? They actually are a lot of newer cars. You'll see they have those bright white headlights and of course the, the brake lights are getting much brighter. The turn signals and other lights because they're all switching now to LEDs now that they've been able to get them so much brighter as, as available yeah. and they just work better so most new cars now come with LEDs already installed okay I'm but if you are driving an older car it's not a bad idea
1: yeah, I think uh, LEDs are great I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't already happened but uh, most of them
4: are Yep. Most of the new ones now.
2: More great information from Rick. We're going to take a pause, and we're going to go to John, who's calling us from Palm City.
9: Good morning to everyone. Morning. I have a question for Rick. but I just want to give a little background, because it actually happened to my father. In 81, he bought a new Pontiac Bonneville from, um, I think it was Jack Nicklaus then. Mm-hmm. It was in uh, uh, Delray Beach, right. and later it was changing over then to Sherwood. So from day one on, he got the car. He had quite a few oil leaks in it. And, um, you know, he just played by ear. And he took the car, and he went all the way up north to the Adirondacks uh, Mountains in Vermont. And it leaked so bad, it was, like, unbelievable. He went into a small Pontiac uh, Cadillac dealer, and they had to redo the seals and do a lot of work on the engine. And the theory was then that it leaked from the beginning... That the car, when it was transported either by rail or truck, Mm -hmm. it was assembled in Canada, that the uh, angle was not, you know, flat. It was a, you've seen some of the car haulers, the way they're they're hauled. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's a 90 degree angle almost. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said that they believe that that's what the problem was. So I heard of a person over here now in Florida that had the oil overfilled. You go to uh, some oil chain places, and, you know, it's strict. On some cars, it's 4.5, uh, five at It's even amount. It used to be five and one for the filter. Mm-hmm. If an engine is overfilled over a period of time, way overfilled, and you get, would you get oil leaks from the pan and front seal and rear seal? Especially if you go on a long trip like a 95 with excess oil in the engine. Is that possible, that the seals could be leaking?
4: Rick? I find that highly unlikely, Uh, especially the angle thing. Uh, I I don't think that's really a a factor. Seals are actually lubricated by the oil that they help hold in. So having oil just resting against the seal is not going to affect anything if the car is not running. So the transport thing, I, I... Somebody was playing a little bit of smoke and mirrors game there just looking for an excuse for a defective over, If vehicle. you
1: overfill uh, that, with oil, you're going to get oil dripping down, and you may think you have an oil leak, but
4: you don't. That That's possible if they really seriously super overfilled it. No. Uh, the other factor that would happen overfilling it is you would actually wind up with oil getting through the breathing system, the PCV valve, and Being burned in the engine and you'd have a lot of smoke coming out the exhaust pipe that I think would be the number one symptom that you would see for overfilling a car and That case would occur. I've, I've actually seen it a couple times where uh, Tech goofed up thought he had drained the oil. He got distracted. He went back He put oil in the car took the car out for a test drive and of course, it's now at it double the amount of oil that it should have had and came back smoking ferociously. So that, I think, is the number one symptom. And once we drained the oil, everything was fine. It's really not that huge of an issue. answer your question, John?
9: Yes, it does. But it's important that people do go to a place that does get the oil change and its uh, exact amount that's supposed to be in it, especially if it's short. It could be the problems. But Earl, as a Pontiac dealer at that time, what I thought was... They were making excuses, Earl. If you remember, in the 80s, mm-hmm. they were putting Buick engines and Pontiac Chevy engines and older wheels, oh, sure and they were just screwing up completely, yeah. and I think they were just basically looking for an excuse, in my opinion. Yeah, That's what I a, think.
1: One of the things, uh, the only one good thing about being an old guy like me, I've been in the business for so long that I appreciate the increase in quality that we've seen. And back in the 70s and 80s, uh, when I was a Pontiac dealer, uh, those cars were so bad in comparison to the, today's cars. And the quality, it was a joke. Uh, when I first got, uh, bought a Toyota dealership and found out what real quality was like, uh, the domestics have caught up to Toyota. But back in the 70s and 80s, uh, the imports were, Japanese imports especially, were far higher quality. Uh, I used as a Pontiac dealer, used to make more money doing warranty work on cars than I did doing what we call customer pay, and we would, uh, the customer pay, meaning people that would come in and pay us to repair their cars, would be equal to the amount of warranty work that the Pontiac Motor Division paid us to fix cars under warranty, so it was really quite a... uh, 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 of course, all the cars were the same bad quality, so it didn't really make any difference. If you wanted to buy a car, it was going to be a bad quality car, and everything averaged out.
9: Well, also, I remember driving in those days, and a V6 and a, and a heavy Pontiac Bonneville was way, way underpowered.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, the he cars had a were amazing. That had
9: a four-cylinder <laughs> Corolla, and my father said that thing has more pep to it than my Bonneville. So, <laughs> How about the? You saw the problems. And you remember and the GM You remember the? Using different engines from GM cars.
1: Or the GM diesels. Uh, that's another favorite story of mine, is that the GM diesel was such a bad car that General Motors Acceptance Corporation, the financing lending arm for General Motors, refused to finance the cars <laughs> that General Motors is building. And that's not that's not a story. That's a real honest-to-God uh, fact. That's great.
9: Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, but the good right. news is the General Motors strike looks like it's finally settled after over a month. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure the union is not going to be stupid They're going to definitely vote on this uh, to go back to work. Absolutely. 49,000 workers affected. That's the good news.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was a very expensive strike. Very expensive. Unbelievable. Uh, The the number is outrageous.
9: All the plants next year, the Canada assembly plants, will be closed, and they won't be built in Canada anymore. So where it's going to go to, hopefully not all Mexico, it'll be distributed through the plants in the United States.
1: Okay, John, thanks again. Uh, I'm glad you're back online. You can get the show and uh, yep, listen no and call, call in. We, we missed you there for a while, so we'll be good looking for your calls. Reception too. Thank you very much. Thank you, John.
9: Okay. okay have a good day. Thanks, thanks John.
2: John. Uh, everybody, hang on to your hats. I have an interesting story for everyone. Uh, it's a little ha-ha, but it's kind of serious. Okay, and this made it to TV. A station covered this. Okay, a couple found out where all their walnuts have gone it turns out squirrels stored more than 200 of them under the hood of the couple's suv hmm.
5: <laughs>
2: the tv station that covered this said that the wife had called and said that the vehicle smelled like as if it was burning
3: She <laughs> so heard a rattle
2: When she popped the hood, she found walnuts and grass piled over the engine. They took the SUV to a mechanic who found half a trash can of walnuts under the engine. Anybody Hmm. find this interesting?
3: Well, it sounds like some healthy squirrels. There's a lot in the energy here.
2: Okay, I'll continue. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> there, there was extensive damage, and the squirrel had chewed through the fuel injector hose of his new truck. True story. Yeah.
4: Well, we actually get a lot of rodent-damaged cars. And I got to admit, one of the first count, encounters that I had with one like this was way back in the mid-90s when I went to check an air filter on a car and the air filter box was full of dog food, dry Mm. dog food. It was because a squirrel just kept storing the pieces, would steal the dog food from an outside dish and would store them in the air cleaner box.
3: Yeah, uh, inter- Interesting trivia, by the way, and Earl's about to tell us to get off the subject, I can tell. But did you know that squirrels lose the location of about 80% of the nuts that they hide? That's why we have so many trees to grow up <laughs> from them. That's true.
2: Anyway, this couple got a quote on removing the walnut tree from their property. Oh,
3: I would have taken it.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I hope we have some more text.
3: We do. <laughs> we oh, have, my goodness. Of,
2: I don't think I like that <laughs> reply. We haven't run out of
3: things to say. Um, a few came in. Um, Kia vehicles do not have Takata airbags. You should highlight this on your show. You might have tuned in late. We we actually did bring this up uh, about yeah. about twenty minutes ago. Uh, Kia and Hyundai um, don't have Takata airbags. That's on the uh, NHTSA recall spotlight website. So that's true. And you made a good, great comment. How could they not be uh, advertising that? No,
1: yeah. I mean. <laughs> I, you, you Kia uh, yeah. people out there, Hyundai people, your dealers, your salespeople, uh, you got yourself something to advertise. Yeah. and you, you, uh,
3: You're going up against. You're trying to crack into Toyota and Honda's dominance, and yeah. Toyota and Honda are just, you know, rife with the kind of airbags. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know it until. Uh, I should have. It. I've known it for yep. about three years. I should have. Yeah, <laughs> should have mentioned it a while ago. Well, it's so, kind, yeah. of, kind of like apathy, you know. Yeah. People just not Well, not my apathy, but it was something. It you know. wasn't remarkable. I'm just looking for Takata airbags. Yeah. So. All right, the next one. Um, my brand new Ford Edge has an annoying wind noise problem. It's less than six months old, and the dealer service is telling me it's normal. It is not normal. How do I get this taken care of? Yeah, uh, I'll let Rick
1: answer this, but I just have to tell you as a car dealer. Uh, one of my most uh, maddening experiences with the manufacturer or even with my own service department. Yeah. I don't, I just, I'm, I am morphed into more of a consumer than a car dealer and if I bought a car and I wasn't a car dealer and I went into, into my car dealer and I had a wind noise and the service advisor told me that that's just the way they all are and they all make that noise, right. that wouldn't be acceptable to me. and. Um, why the manufacturer? I can kind of understand a dealer doing it because it's just lack of knowledge. But when the manufacturer backs up the dealer, and that will happen you know, you build a product with a problem a squeak, a noise, uh, a smell, uh, a vibration, whatever it is. If you have something about your product, your car specifically, that's annoying to the buyer, you've got to make it right. You just can't say, that they all do it. If they all do it, then fix all of them, have a recall. But anyway, Rick, you're in the trenches, you see this every day, you have cases where a customer comes in with a Toyota with a problem, and Toyota tells you that that's
4: the way they all are. In a case like that, the the only real weapon that I have is what's called a dealer product report, Mm -hmm. where as a technician, I can send a report to Toyota that says, hey, this customer is not happy about this particular thing on this car, Mm -hmm. and uh, as a matter of fact, Toyota takes them rather seriously. Uh, They award certain prizes to us for those of us that will go above and beyond really making sure that we're conscientious, sending in these reports. And really you know letting know what's going on.
1: In some cases if you dig deeper uh, on the situation you just uh, suggested customer comes in let's say a wind noise and uh, and then he's got a wind noise in a Camry LE uh, uh, 2017 and uh, the answer from Toyota is they all do that and uh, I'm just making this up mm-hmm. and unbeknownst to us, perhaps, or certainly to the customer, they are working on a fix. So uh, when a manufacturer, this isn't just Toyota, any manufacturer has a problem. It'll come to light after they go to a market on the car and there's thousands of cars out. They will say, oh, look, we've had a lot of complaints from customers and dealers around the country. We have this issue with a car, but we don't know how to fix it.
2: Randy, so, we're going to get to your call real quick. Randy's calling yeah, from Toronto. Yeah, we'll be Toronto. right
1: you, uh, And right, uh, so what they should do is come out and say, we have a problem, we're sorry, we're working on a fix. But they wait until they have the fix before they acknowledge the problem.
4: There's a lot of times they do that, yeah. yes. Okay, let's go to Randy.
2: Good morning, Randy. Welcome.
10: Thank you. Nice to be on the show. Thank you.
2: You're calling from Toronto.
10: I've called before. I uh, haven't have been able to get through on the phone, so that's why I haven't uh, tr- tried. So well, thank you, I uh, thank got you for through going. today. So.
2: Thank you for your yeah. persistence.
10: I wanted to uh, give a bouquet to Earl. I saw his uh, profile on the, in the Automobile News there. They did uh, like a write-up on him, and it was very interesting. Well,
1: thank you very much. We'll hold that up for our streamers out there, and uh, we were very, very proud of this, and I hope I can get this centered. Yeah, right here. Yeah, this is uh, The Anti-Dealer. I kind of like that title. And there you can see uh, uh, Nancy Stewart and myself right here where we're sitting now on the radio show. But,
3: it's like a picture within a picture.
1: Yeah, we're very proud of that. And thanks for calling us that to the attention, Randy. I appreciate it.
10: Thank you. <laughs> but my question today is: We have a, a Ford uh, factory in the suburbs of uh, Toronto in Oakville. Mm-hmm. They're advertising on TV. Employee uh, pricing uh, is that the same as you say uh, the dealer would 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 like that because it's basically the same as uh, buying at MSRP, buying at on uh, at invoice. Can you just talk about that? I still has
1: the specifics on that, but I, I I recall that the Ford employee pricing is very good, are very good prices. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. And uh, it's something that you normally, if you can buy a car at the Ford employee price, it
3: is a very low price. Yeah, they call it like the Z plan or there's some plan. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's um if I, if I can say Ford. If we've looked into this. Uh, the Ford employee pricing plan or plan Z plan or whatever they call it is legit and it's really good. Can't speak for other manufacturers. Um, employee pricing kind of got bandied about as as it became popular during the recession when the car business was just really struggling and they began to offer employee pricing to the public And um, you know, unless you do your due diligence and really check on the cross shop, you know, there's no way to know if it's really good. But we've done the legwork for you. If you can get on the uh, the Ford employee plan and it's legit, then then it's it's a good deal. And
1: if I'm not mistaken, I believe they uh, require the dealer not to add hidden fees. That's right. Uh, Some of the other I know uh, employee plans for other manufacturers allow the dealer to add hidden fees, maybe even dealer-installed accessories, but not the Ford plan. It's clean. It's honest.
10: Okay, good. Okay, thanks very much. I'll let you go. I enjoy the show, and uh, it's nice to get through on the phone. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Randy. Thank
0: you,
2: Randy. (laughs) Bye-bye. Hope to hear from you again.
0: You're listening to the best of the Earl Stewart on Cars program. If you have a question, text it to 772-497-6530 or online at youranonymousfeedback.com, and we'll answer it during our next live show on November 16th.
2: Our number is 877-960-9960, or you can text us at 772-497-6530. We sure would love to hear from you at youranonymousfeedback.com. And, Rick, do you have uh, any more?
4: I do have one more. Uh, Wayne Vate is asking, uh, does the engine in the 2019 and 2020 CHR, Toyota CHR, have direct injection? And the answer simply to that one, yes they do. Very good. Well, uh,
1: direct injection just means what, that the, the fuel is sprayed directly into the
4: cylinder? Absolutely, it's a, uh, a newer design. They've been working on it for quite a few years and tried them several times in the past, different manufacturers. Well, now they seem to have got some of the bugs worked out. Uh, not only does it have injectors that spray into the intake manifold runners, like a traditional gasoline engine, but it has a second set of gasoline injectors that spray directly oh. into the combustion chamber. Double
1: whammy, get a lot of fuel.:
4: Yeah, well, it actually gets better fuel economy, yeah. more power, and less emissions. Evenly distributed. much better.
3: Yeah, very good. All right, we've got a couple more coming in. I just sent you a, a picture, uh, Rich and Jupiter uh, sent us a screenshot of the uh, most recent Gallup poll, which actually shows uh, sales car salespeople above members of Congress. Ah. so uh, ah. yeah.
1: congratulations, guys.
3: Ah. yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> Moving on up. That sounds pretty good. Um, then, um, Richard also chimed in. He's listening to the, um, um, the, the, the the texter with the problem with the wind noise and the Ford Edge. Um, he says, if I was told, and this is great advice, if I was told that they all do that, I would say, let me drive w- one of yours on the lot and see if it makes the same wind noise. So that's ac- absolutely right. That's um, a great idea. a brand new one.
1: I, I am, uh, unfortunately, sometimes they do make the same noise. Yeah. Uh, but it's sometimes that's a ploy and uh, Actually, at our dealership, um, in full transparency, if you haven't tuned in before, I do have a Toyota dealership, and I am a dealer, and this is not an infomercial, and we don't talk about our dealership, and we don't try to push what we sell, which is Toyotas, but um, with the... uh, proof to a customer, sometimes when we have that sad situation, yeah, we right. will get a new car out of stock and let them drive it and say, see, uh, this has got the same problem. And every time that happens, I have a tear in my eye because yeah. I identify, empathize with that customer. And why should that be an excuse? Yeah. Because you build a problem into a car, because all of them, all the cars have the same problem, yeah. I should be happy about that?
3: What's that phrase? It's not a uh, bug, it's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Steve on Facebook says, "I took my wife's car for a quick oil change. Um, to a quick oil change place once. They pulled the car out, left it running, so you can drive it right off. When I got home, I had to add a quart of oil. I have since gone back to doing my oil myself."
1: Yeah, you know the whole oil change thing is a uh, is a red flag. Uh, when we um, begin a mechanic at our dealership, a technician, we start in changing oil and, and uh, rotating tires and balancing and it's a um a preliminary to learning the mechanics and technology as you grow and get to be like Rick a certified master diagnostic technician so the red flag is the fact the, the kid changing your and i say kid because they're mostly very young and they're just starting in the auto industry if they haven't had the proper training uh you really got a lot of problems uh they can they can inadvertently not rotate your tires properly or at all. Uh, they can maybe not put the right amount of oil in your car. Uh, they may not uh, tighten your lug nuts tightly on your on your wheels. And these are things that can really affect uh, severe damage to your car or even danger. So uh, you think it's a simple process when you go to Jiffy Lube, but all these oil change places, they're not paying these people a lot of money. That's a starting beginning wage. It's the lowest wage of any thing that a mechanic or a technician does is changing the oil. So, you know, it's like buying we, the joke about the U.S. government. Remember that all the tanks and all the planes were built by the lowest bidder. Right. You know, our oh. oil is being
4: changed by the lowest paid. <laughs> right. The,
1: the oil is being changed by the lowest paid employee in that dealership, and it's not right. And Rick?
4: We actually had a case one time where a, an oil changer, a new guy, was just simply checking an air filter on a car to see if it was clean or dirty. Mm-hmm and he knocked off a vacuum line and it caused a drivability problem with that car.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they shouldn't have to learn at your expense and it wouldn't be a bad idea if I were taking my car into it and I wasn't in the business, I'd ask a question about how long is this gentleman over there that will be changing my oil and rotating my tires, how long has he worked here? And if the answer is three days. Uh, I would go somewhere else. <laughs> right. uh, if he's been there for
3: a year, he probably knows how to do it. Yeah. And, and he's got the mistakes out of the way. Yeah. The quote was from John Glenn. He said, um, as I hurled through space, one thought kept crossing my mind. Every part of this rocket was supplied by the lowest bidder. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great quote. Yeah. <laughs> okay. but just to
4: brag a little bit, though, our oil changers do spend about three days just shadowing another oil changer and learning the the process, and learning to double check themselves, mm. and even I myself, I I have trained myself that I double check every single thing mm. I do, and quite often you'll see me run out to a car an hour later that's still parked in the lot mm-hmm. just to triple check the oil level mm-hmm. because, because it, you had that nagging at thought at my age, I like- I just I remember that I've made many mistakes in my life, and. If it doesn't leave the lot, it's not a comeback. Yeah. So but you're I, a mature I senior catch citizen. catch him before I can.
3: You're a mature senior, senior citizen. You know you have the uh, the wisdom over all those years. Not <laughs> to mention the senile our, dementia. At our
1: dealership, we, we can assure them that the man that changes his oil has had three days experience at That's least. That's right. Don't worry minimum. about it. Minimum.
3: Yes, minimum. <laughs> no worries here.
2: Okay. Um, I have a text, and uh, the text reads, What is the difference between a warranty and a service contract? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Mary Elizabeth, I can't answer that question because it is such a a gray area. Once you get in and you start signing these contracts, I'm not sure if I would know the difference between a warranty and an extended I can answer that. Stu?
3: Yeah. um, A warranty only comes from the manufacturer. Uh, it's backed by the manufacturer and has to do with defects and work. Everything else that the dealership presents well, to you is, I, uh, is, is I'll a service contract. i have to
1: interject there. Uh-oh. Sometimes Uh-oh. the extended service contract is called a warranty. It's called a warranty. I'm defining what they so are. So the, the, the name is is used very loosely, right. and um, you have to be careful. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm saying I'm letting the listeners know that the if, if a dealer is selling you a warranty, it's not a warranty. It's a service contract. Mm-hmm. If they call it a warranty and you have to pay for it, it's not a warranty. It's yes. a service contract.
2: Sometimes it's all Correct. about the numbers.
3: That's right. All right, we have a text here. It's an update from a caller who called in last week. Uh, uh, update on the raffle with the tires wearing on the edges. Now, I spoke with Tier One Toyota customer service and the and the dealer. Toyota looked up all the service records, confirmed everything required was done by me. They still refuse to do anything about it. They are blaming blaming the dealership, saying it's a service failure and they should have caught it. The dealer won't do anything about it as well. It's a shame. It's my mother's third lease, seventh Toyota, and it will be hers and my entire family's last Toyota. What happened to Toyota? They used to be the best when it comes to standing behind their cars. It's going to cost her $1,000 for new tires, which she doesn't have. It's crazy. A two-year-old car with 20,000 miles needs tires. Thanks. Love the show. That's from Ryan. Well, the dealer
1: should be checking your tire pressure every time you come in, and uh, that should be part of the maintenance and your factory-recommended maintenance. Uh, if they're not checking the tire pressure, your tires could have been uh, under-inflated, in which case you'd have the edge wear. It should be a matter of uh, proof of science. Uh, a picture of the tire should tell anybody that why did you have the excess wear. And uh, uh, the dealer is to blame. The manufacturer uh, is not to blame only in the sense that he, the manufacturer should lean on the dealer and say, you should take care of this customer. Unfortunately, they don't do that like they should. And uh, I would still, um, I would still go back to the dealer, try to take it up the ladder, yeah. try to talk to the service manager, the real service manager, meaning the guy that runs the entire service department, not somebody in the service drive that calls himself yeah. service manager or the general manager or the owner of the dealership.
3: I'm gonna. Another advice is, you said you called the Toyota customer uh, the number. When when you do that, basically, they're going to refer the problem right back to the dealer. Um, it comes in. It's called an 800 complaint. Um, it comes in and basically describes to the dealer what they already knew. And then you're going to be contacted by a customer relations manager and probably people who can't actually get anything done for you. Um, ask the dealer, who some friendly voice or some somebody who will actually listen to you at that dealership, to call the Toyota Customer Experience Desk or whatever they call it. Um, sometimes they'll step up, especially for um, long-term families that have bought a bunch of Toyotas and they've made the threat to leave Toyota altogether, they could step in and and assist you. So um, just keep pushing with the dealer, but the, the 800 number for Toyota is probably not gonna do too much to help you.
2: Great information. Uh, we are going to be getting to the mystery shopping report uh, so therefore we will not be taking any more phone calls but let me remind you that you too can vote on the mystery shopping report and you can do so at 772-497-6530 and a uh, two-year mentioning when we uh, first aired this morning uh, about uh, the uh, chevy Dealership in Green Acres. Boy, I feel all of a sudden I feel it. This thought just came to me. I feel pretty old. Remember Earl mm-hmm. playing racquetball with Steve Moore? I do, yes. Do you? That was a long time ago. Long time ago. When did he sell out?
1: Oh, 25 years ago.
2: Wow. Okay, where we have our mystery shopping report from Auto Nation Chevy Green Acres. The Tagata test.
1: I sent a copy of this by the way uh, this morning uh, to Anna Werner, uh, who is the CBS uh, investigative reporter that broke this story about Auto Nation having uh, a lot of cars being sold with defective Tagata airbags. And uh, hopefully um, she'll read this and maybe do a follow up of some kind because uh, you're going to see in a minute what happened when our mystery shopper went in. And again, as Nancy said, this is a mystery shop. Of AutoNation, uh, Chevrolet, and Green Acres—that's uh, southern or central Palm Beach County. Um, a lot of people don't know where Green Acres is; it's near Lake Worth, West Palm Beach area. Uh, this week, uh, CBS News featured a story on the Takata airbag recall crisis. The piece focused on a report by the United States Public Research Group, that concluded that one in nine used cars being offered for sale by Auto Nation has a safety recall issue. One in nine. Now this is staggering. This is a large, large percentage. Uh, you're familiar with the uh, Russian roulette where you take a revolver and you spin the chamber and you hold it up to your head and you're drunk because you wouldn't do that unless you're drunk and you squeeze the trigger. I've seen it in the movies. You've seen it in the movies. A uh, Russian roulette. This is what it is when you buy a used vehicle from Auto Nation, you're playing Russian roulette. You have one chance out of nine of having bought a car that can kill you. And the fact that this is going on says something about our legislature, our politics, our regulators. It says something about the American system where money can trump life, where money can trump safety, where the lobbyists for the manufacturers Auto manufacturers, the lobbyists for the auto dealers, can go to our legislators and persuade them not to pass a law that would make it illegal to sell a car with a dangerous recall. And they won't do it. They're afraid to do it because they won't get the donations from these giant lobbying groups to get reelected. A sad, sad statement on America. Um As you know, and I said before, I was interviewed uh, for the story about automation by CBS News reporter Anna Werner. hope she's listening now, and I hope she's reading the same mystery shopping report that I'm reading to you now. I discussed my policy uh, in my dealership of not selling dangerous recall cars, something I stuck with since July of 2016. I applaud CBS News helping me to return the national attention to national attention on the public safety crisis that has shamefully been ignored by our media and political leadership. In the story uh, she asked me in the interview, she asked me how much money it had cost, and it was bordering on six hundred thousand dollars in depreciation and others, so to costs by not selling these cars to you. Uh, it's been very, very painful, Uh, burden on me financially. And uh, recently, I'm uh, uh, having to pay an additional $250,000 and I'll I'll talk about that on a further show that had to do with the Takata issue that I had to, from a matter of morality and conscience, not sell cars. I sued another car dealer and this resulted in costing me uh, $250,000. Anyway, the PIRG, which is the U.S. Public research group by the way this PIRG was funded uh, by um, Roseanne Shehan rosemary I'm sorry Rosemary Shahan, who is the consumer advocate in California the president of cars it was one of the most uh, influential powerful um, groups consumer groups for car buyers and uh, she funded this a uh, US public res- research group uh, research that caught automation in uh, doing what they're doing. They looked at 2,400 used vehicles at 28 AutoNation locations and found 267 vehicles that pose serious safety threats to their occupants. That's astonishing. Now remember, AutoNation is the largest retailer of cars in the world. They have more car dealerships, well over 200 car dealerships. So when I say one in nine cars uh, are being sold, by Auto Nation, this pretty much translates to all car dealers. One in nine, when you buy a car from any car dealer, uh, including Auto Nation, you have one chance, nine, of having an unfixed, dangerous safety recall. CBS highlighted the dramatic reversal taken by Auto Nation when uh, j- uh, just a year after announcing they would no longer sell cars, uh, used cars with unfixed safety recalls, they went back to selling them. Michael Jackson, I saw the actual live uh, appearance that he had on CNBC when he said, it's unconscionable to sell a car with a dangerous recall. The American consumer, we have to respect and be careful that we do not sell them a dangerous product. And Auto Nation will not sell these cars. A year later, he reneged on it. And there was very little made out of it. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, that Michael Jackson, the CEO at the time, did resign from AutoNation. We don't know if there was any relationship between that. I personally feel that his conscience made him say that, and after a year, I believe the board of directors and the stockholders said, look, you're costing us money because you're not selling cars that our competition is selling, and therefore uh, you're not upholding your fiduciary responsibility. And put pressure on Michael Jackson to reverse himself. I think that embarrassed him and angered him, and eventually led to his resignation. Yeah. But that's all speculation on my part. Uh, the U.S. Uh, P.I.R.G., the research group that found this information, uh, does not act. Uh, this is what. This is what. Yeah, they the, issued this. Uh, yeah, statement. this is a pu- public public relations release from Automation when they were caught and embarrassed, and they said that. Uh, the USPIRG report does not accurately depict the buying process at Nation dealerships. The groups responsible for the report did not attempt to thoroughly review the purchasing process at any of the Nation's 200 plus locations around the country. Well, I'll address that. Everybody makes mistakes, and people buy cars they shouldn't buy. There is not a check process that is effective. Obviously, if a used car manager at an innovation dealership will take a car in his inventory and advertise it, all he has to do is check the Carfax report or the safercar.gov or the manufacturer's report. The data is there. And we looked in our computer and we found a lot of cars out there at automation dealerships with unfixed Takata airbag recalls.
3: I found three in about five minutes. Yeah,
1: three in five minutes. So this is BS about us or this public relations report by automation saying that they didn't do their research and they shouldn't have made this statement. Had they done so, they say that they'd be aware of AutoNation's robust policies and procedures that designed to provide a transparent buying process. Well, uh, it's not happening. It is not happening, and the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in this mystery shopping report, which I'm going to get into in just, just a minute. It goes on to say, AutoNation customers are required to sign a recall disclosure acknowledgement prior to purchase. Well, I'll... I'll, go, I'll fast forward them in a minute.
3: Yeah, no spoilers yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, I must spoil it. Right. They did not do this, so that's a lie in the PR report. They did not disclose it. Uh, a lot of the bad things that happen uh, with car dealers are based on carelessness and stupidity, and sometimes the guy in the ivory tower, the dealer or the CEO of automation, he thinks things are going OK, but in the trenches. They're not going that case. And we're in the trenches, and we're shopping these people. And the nation stores are selling these dangerous cars, and it's happening. And we can prove it. And we have a, a copy of the Mystery Shopping Report in Anna Werner's hands right now. Uh, we've conducted several Takata Mystery Shops at nation stores over the last three years. Only one effectively disclosed disclose a recall. Only one in three years. Perhaps with a renewed attention, Automation will make an effort to inform the individual locations who are not adhering to their recall policy. We selected one of these stores to see if this was the case Automation, Chevy, and Green Acres. It was easy to find cars with Dakota recalls in Automation Chevy's online used car inventory. We found three in a few minutes. Three cars with dangerous recalls.
3: All at the Green Acres site?
1: All at one location. Now you multiply that by 200 plus locations, you've got a lot of dangerous cars, one out of nine. Uh, we chose uh, there, well, here's the three. there was a Mercedes C class sedan, two of them, and two of those, and a Chevy Silverado. Now, this is a Chevrolet dealership. So we talked earlier in the show and talked to Rick about the fact that automation Chevrolet in Green Acres gets paid by General Motors to fix that Silverado. They get paid. The technician that does the fix, he gets a commission. He gets paid. The customer buys a saved car. That's the reason I say this isn't premeditation. This is stupidity. A Chevrolet dealer has a car with a dangerous recall. He puts it on his lot, he advertises it for sale, and he sells it. He costs his company, his dealership money by not fixing it. And he costs a commission to the salesperson, I mean the mechanic, that could have fixed
3: it. Why? Yeah, because they're stupid. Why?
1: And they're careless, and it's not right. We chose to shop and buy a 2014 Mercedes uh, 250 with a no-fix to cut airbag recall. That means that this car, if they did know and, and disclose that it had a airbag recall, there's nothing they could do about it. Nope. Disclosure means nothing when you say you can't fix the car. And we sent in a female mystery shopper, Agent 26, in response to a lot of uh, people that have been asking us to use more female shoppers. Here's a report speaking as if I were the shopper. I called the dealership prior to departing on my mission to find out if they still had the 2014 Mercedes C250. Now, 2014, that's a five or six-year-old car. That car is ripe. That accelerant and that Takata airbag is de- is de- degenerating. It's 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 becoming unstable and it can blow up spontaneously. Very dangerous car. I spoke to a gentleman named Joe, who put me on brief on uh, hold to check the key machine. He returned to the call, informing that it was there and ready for sale. I told Joe that I'd be in 45 minutes. I arrived at 11:30 a.m. And went inside the building. I asked the receptionist if she could help me locate Joe. She tried for several minutes to reach him by phone but gave up. She directed me towards the used car building where she said I could find him. I went back outside, got my car and drove to the used car area. I was greeted by a salesperson. I told him, I'm looking for Joe. The salesperson walked me inside and introduced me to Joe. Now, I can call that a little bit of incompetence there. You know, it's just the incompetence that creates the danger. In this case, it was just not being able to know where your salesman is. And here we're talking about just not knowing that you've got a dangerous car on the lot you're about to sell. Joe was ready with the keys and a dealer plate. Took me back outside, walked me to the car. He asked me if I wanted to drive it. I said I did. Uh, He didn't ask for my license. There's a little more incompetence there. All car dealers require... Their insurance companies require them, and they require the salespeople to get a copy of the driver's license before they let them take a test drive. So policies are not enforced, folks. Hey, CEO of AutoNation, I believe it's a woman, by the way, the current CEO of AutoNation, if you're you're listening to the show, I know you're not. You may be after some people talk to you. Uh, Your policies are not being carried out. And that is the true danger. I know no one in Auto Nation headquarters, board of directors, wants anybody to be hurt by a car you sell. But the policies are not being carried out, and what you're about to hear happens in a lot of your car dealerships. So, uh, no driver's license asked for. He asked if I wanted to drive it. I said I did. Uh, he didn't ask for my license, I said. Uh, on the test drive, Joe said it was a nice car. And said it had never been in an accident. You'll find out later that's some more incompetence, according to Carfax. He was really nice and made a pleasant conversation. I learned a lot about his career in the car business. He'd been doing this a long time. I asked Joe if there was any mechanical issues to talk about. Joe simply replied that Auto Nation does a 125-point inspection on all their used cars. We went back to small talk. As we approached the dealership, I asked Joe if there were any safety issues with the vehicle that he was aware of. Now, he did say this. He believed there was an open passenger side airbag
4: recall. Credit Joe. Okay?
1: That's one
4: for Joe. Rick? Joe's got a little guts because he's sitting in front of that passenger side airbag. That's right.
1: Uh, Either guts or stupidity, right? Mm
4: -hmm. Uh,
1: When we parked,
4: Joe took a Carfax
1: report and a service history report. Out of the folder in the car, we walked back to his office where he reviewed the Carfax report with me. He said he had to correct an earlier statement he made. Joe said he mistakenly told me there had been no accidents. a oh, nice. mistake. Mistakes happen. Yeah. And he pointed out accidents on the Carfax report. He did emphasize that the report indicated only minor damage. He told me that if any issue like severe damage, odometer problems, or lemon laws appear on the report within a year of my purchase, Alternation would buy the car back. That's a nice touch. Yeah. That's a really good uh, marketing thing to do because uh, people aren't going to be aware of it anyway, and uh, a low-cost uh, way to sell more cars. He never made mention of the recall again. I waited to see if he would advise me. And remember, this recall is unfixable. Yeah. There's no part available. Never mention it again. Uh, I waited to see if he would advise me on of how or when. I could have the defect remedied, but he never did. I told him I loved the car. I was ready to make a deal. He said he'd get the manager to write it up for me. Joe returned with a buyer's order, and uh, he reviewed it with me. The top line was Kelly Blue Book Retail Value, 12000 one hundred twenty-one dollars. Next, they showed one thousand five hundred twenty-one thousand five hundred twenty-three dollars in automation savings, um, which made my selling price ten thousand five ninety-eight, and that was the same price I saw online. Yep. That's a good thing. That used to be the case, but we're seeing in more and more car dealerships. The online price equals the price that you know they sell the car, or they say they sell the car for. They don't sell it for that price. They say they do. Then they added, here we go, $799 dealer fee. Hidden fee, um, you don't know about it until you come in to buy the car. And pretty hefty, $549 tag and registration. We say hefty because it's suspiciously high that it might not really be that much. Um, my total was 12695 and I said I thought it was a fair deal. Joe said I could get into finance right away, but I said, I need to take the buyer's order home with me, to go over with my mom. I explained, and she was advising me on my uh, first car purchase. And uh, uh, this is a young
3: female car shopper, 26. 26, agent 26. That's where where I got the uh, the the moniker.
1: I asked if he could hold the car for one day. Joe said he'd have to ask his manager. Uh, Joe returned, said that unfortunately. I'd have to leave a deposit for them to hold the car. I said, I couldn't do that. My mom had specifically warned me against that. And
0: good it's job, good advice. Yeah. Good
1: advice. I said I would uh, take my chances and would call the next day to see if it had been sold. I took my copies of the Carfax report, the buyer's order, the service history, and some warning info with me. Um, although Joe did acknowledge that they got a recall, it fell far short of an effective disclosure. It was a far cry from what AutoNation describes as AutoNation's robust policies and procedures. That's kind of a joke. Yeah, it is a joke. AutoNation states that all customers are required to sign a recall disclosure acknowledgement prior to the sale. This didn't happen today. Maybe that forum would have come later in F&I. We don't know. Probably would have come later in F&I and all the car dealers are putting the hairy stuff the stuff they don't want you to see into the f The non sexy stuff. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you buy the car when you shake the salesman's hand and you say, We have a deal. Yep. You buy the car, you're emotionally, mentally, you and yeah. every other way, you bought the car. The rest of it is annoying, detailed paperwork. Yeah. You don't pay attention, your attention uh, dissipates. You're, you're, you're after
3: they shake hands is
1: when yeah. they call their friends and say, we just yeah. bought a car yeah. euphoric nature you probably get a picture taken with the car, yeah. a car picture with a salesman and the car you're smiling and then you go into the box yeah. which is the F&I department and that's where you, you sign all these papers and you don't know what you're signing yeah. and that's the sad sad truth so this disclosure is a joke the car dealers are saying they disclose this Auto Nation said they disclose this they're not doing it folks They're not doing it. This is proof right here. This mystery shopping report is proof that AutoNation and the other car dealers are not disclosing what they did. If they did disclose it, it's still immoral to sell a car with a dangerous Takata airbag recall that can't be fixed. How could you imagine, uh, Rick comes in to me to buy a car and I say, Rick, I'm going to make full disclosure. That car that you're going to drive your family home in tonight has a dangerous Takata airbag that could explode like a hand grenade. And we can't fix it. And, the con- and we can't fix it. And I have to give you that disclosure. Now, here are the keys and take your family home in that car. Now, that's a disclosure. Yeah. Is anybody going to take their family home in that car? Not me. <laughs> right, right.
3: I'd feel terrible if it blew up and I hadn't told you. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I just wanted you to know. Let's get real.
1: Ahead of time. So the, the disclosure is a joke. And as, as Senator Blumenthal, he was also on the CBS News, and he addressed that issue. Yeah. Disclosure is a joke. It's not happening. What is happening is people are buying the cars, and they're driving them home with their families, and it's just not right. I guess we got to vote, don't we?
3: No, yeah. We already now, have some votes coming in. No, i got, I got to say
1: this. Nancy and I talked about this in the car on the way in. She said, how is the mystery shopping report? Meaning, is it a good report? Well, you know, the sad thing we have to say, it's kind of a good report because all the other car dealers are doing the same thing. And we do have to have car dealers listed that you can buy a car from in Florida. And if we didn't, if we we use an absolute scale... We wouldn't have any dealers listed, so we have to take that into
3: consideration. Let's get the scores. Stu you got some? Here they are. Alan gives him an F. Julie gives them a D. Lori gives him an F. Ed gives him an F. Linda gives them a big fat F. Safety first, folks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted here because I agree with you on the grading on the curve. Um, I will say they did better um, than many. There, at least the salesperson mentioned it. That it was an anemic uh, warning i don't think it would make any impression on any uh customer the way they did it so i am going to concur with our listeners and give them an f i'm sorry
4: rick you got some uh, scores over there we've got mark is called uh chimed in with an f uh so far that's our only vote on youtube and uh, myself is f nancy
2: okay <clears throat> well I'd like to speak of branding. Isn't it powerful? And AutoNation has done a very great job in branding. I'll read you something here. AutoNation makes history with the first female CEO. First female CEO, that's Cheryl Miller. You talk about branding. Boy, I'll tell you what. Build that brand and then take advantage of the consumer. In September 2015, Autonation made a major procedure change, announcing a policy, announcing a policy not to sell, lease or wholesale any new or used vehicles that had an open safety recall. How do I grade it? F, F, F.
4: Well, uh, Rick? And we just got in, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four more F's and a C plus from Tim
3: in Florida. We have more F's coming in on Facebook, too, so.
1: You know, uh, I've got a picture here of uh, Cheryl Miller. I'll show it up, hold it up. And uh, Cheryl, uh, you're the CEO, you're the boss of Automation.
2: Is she? Or and, is she a pawn?
1: And uh, I, think you mean, I think you mean well, and I think you're a good person. And I think that uh, i got to believe the word of this Mr. Shopping Report will leak back to you. I'm going to send you a copy, and I sent a copy to uh, Anna Werner, CBS News. But you're the boss, right? And uh, you have a chance now to make a clean slate from the get-go you can't deny that you know about, you don't know about what's going on now. Uh, we're, we're just a little radio station in South Florida, but we stream all over the country and all over the world for that matter. And there are thousands and thousands of people looking at your face now. Cheryl Miller, Miller, CEO of Automation. And I, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like you to talk to Anna Werner. And I think we need to do something about this. You're the largest retailer of automobiles in the world. You set the example for the other car dealers. If you would take action now to lobby to make it illegal and make it illegal in automation for any of your dealerships to sell a car with a dangerous recall, you could go down in history. It would be your legacy. I challenge you, Cheryl Miller. Okay.
2: You're talking about a very powerful... Uh, Auto Nation. I mean, this is uh, we're going to uh, fail
1: this company. Amazing. We're going to fail uh, Chevrolet and Green Acres. I start. I reverse myself, but I'm going to fail on the basis of the fact that they knew there was a recall and they knew it couldn't be fixed and they were willing to sell the car. I think that's got to be a failing offense. And uh, I know it's going to be hard to have recommendations out there.
2: Absolutely. For this criteria. Uh, folks, um, we're at the end of another fantastic show. I want to alert everyone uh, that we are going on vacation. And you'll be able to catch some really great reruns. And uh, our vacation will affect a few Saturdays. That's October 26th, November 2nd, November 9th. And we'll be back on the 16th. Have a wonderful weekend. We're all
3: going together. Rick, We Nancy. all Jonathan, Jonathan. Rick,
2: everybody. (laughs) Have a great weekend.
0: You're listening to the best of the Earl Stewart on Cars program. If you have a question, text it to 772-497-6530 or online at youranonymousfeedback.com and we'll answer it during our next live show on November 16th.